Good morning. No worry, no worry, I'm not preaching. You're good. Um, welcome to this. Today, I just want to give you an update. Uh, Pastor John, if you didn't know, is up preaching at St. Croix Falls. So we have a great guest speaker, much higher stature than me, much taller than me. But Mike will be speaking in a couple minutes. But uh, we're going to take the offering in a couple seconds, so whoever's helping with that, that'd be great. I can't even hide behind the pulpit because there's a mic issue, so. <clears throat> so here I am. Here I am. <laughs> Quick message for you. Um, I think a lot about these type of things. Uh, we all seek knowledge, and we think knowledge is good, right? Everybody wants to learn things. And the Bible talks about knowledge being good, and if you don't have knowledge... Lack of knowledge can lead to death. But for me, the next step, the more important step, and what the Bible talks about is, is looking for wisdom. Knowledge is great. You can know a lot of things, but applying that knowledge to me is wisdom, and that's, that's what I'd seek. And that's what we should all seek. And quickly, in uh, Second Chronicles 1, what did Solomon seek? It says that in verse 7, in that, in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. How would you like to have God ask you? What do you want? What did Solomon respond with? Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. And what did God think of that request? Because this was in your heart and you've not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. But that's not it. I'll also give you riches, possessions, honor, such as none of the kings had who were before. So he asked for the right thing. If you go to Proverbs 3, we all know the verse about trusting the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll make your path straight. There's a lot more in this, this uh, chapter than, than just that. It's all about seeking wisdom. And what do you get for that wisdom? Long life, favor, straight paths, healing, God's love, provision, protection, uh, the removal of fear. It's all in just one chapter, let alone the rest of the Bible. Wisdom that you get from God leads to good things. And with regard to the offering, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So there's good things when you obey God, when you seek his wisdom. There's a lot of knowledge out in the world. There's a lot of knowledge in the Bible, but we have to apply it. We have to put our faith into things and apply it. So we're going to pray real quick and then introduce the speaker. So Father, I thank you again that you're with us. I thank you for your blessings upon us. Pray for wisdom for all of us, Lord, that we would learn your word and then apply it, that we'd hear your voice. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy over all of us. The world's hurting, Father, and we pray that we'd be the people that would help those people with, with you, with your word, with your presence, with your answers. So many people don't have the answers, Father. Help us to give the answer, which is you. 
bless this church and all that you're doing within it, and these people. Protect those coming back from camp tonight. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. How y'all doing? Let's get rid of the cover. So, I was telling somebody this morning, they're asking where we live, and I live in Andover, if you know where that is. It's on the other side of town, on the, on the north end, but it's, you know, it's a little ways over. And so, um, And so, uh, you know, we make a little hike, 45 minutes or so. It's not, I think some of y'all drive farther, right? And you're like, on the other way. But maybe it's a little bit odd because it's in the, in the metro. There's a lot of choices in between my house and this place. So a couple of you we've had over for dinner and just we've gotten to know you guys over the months. And, and inevitably, somehow the tone of a question comes out. It's like, how did you find RVCC? How did you come to RVCC? And uh, he's getting a, a PowerPoint straight, but it, it, it's like there's so many choices in between what brought you here. Like we could go to a lot of places and, and all that kind of thing. And um, at first, it, in a short, we were invited by some friends, right? Somebody we know saying, "Hey, you want to come? Want to come to church?" And so. We did, but I would say that we were we were led. I'm really hot. Uh, we were led by the Holy Spirit. It was confirmed to us. Somebody invited us, but uh, but there was something about the Holy Spirit in that moment that caused me to pay attention. And those of you who have heard the Holy Spirit, they just that little. It's different, right? You know what I'm talking about. There's a moment where the Holy Spirit can grab your attention. Hey, boy, pay attention, right? Okay, right? We'll go to RVCC. We hadn't been to a church in a while. Um, thank you. It had been a little while for us. We'd moved around quite a bit, and uh, so okay, well, we'll come. So the first time we sat here um, on the drive, actually, uh, I can still remember. I almost got this weird kind of a download in my head just driving going to church and and uh i felt like i knew what we were going to hear the message and uh there we go again i don't know where the right place is to stand i like to move i i work from home and i talk on the phone a lot and i'm always walking in this 10-foot area in my my office so um so i felt like i knew what the pastor was going to preach on right and uh, it was kind of weird. And we got here, and sure enough, everything that Pastor John laid out, boom, boom, boom. I was just kind of nudge my wife. I'd, I'd probably talk too soft for her to really. I was like, what the? Knew where he was going to go. It was, it was confirming to me, right? I was like, wow. The Holy Spirit showed up, as if he wasn't showing up all the other weeks for me. In that moment, I was like, wow. It caught my attention. The second week we showed up, and I'll be, I, I thought, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to actually speak. I'm supposed to actually stand up here and say some things. And I, I, I'm not going to happen. Not because I've spoken before. I, I'm okay with that. But there's a protocol. You don't just walk into somebody else's house. Hey, I, look, I don't know you. you know, that, 
that's just weird, right? And I didn't feel like it was, it was just a little encouraging. It wasn't any big deal. And I, but I just, I really felt it was burning in me. I just thought, man, no, I'm really supposed to stand up here. Sure enough, Pastor John had something prepared, but he stands up and he goes, I'm just waiting on the Lord here and just waiting on the Holy Spirit. And I really don't feel like I'm the one that's supposed to speak. And he goes into this whole story about when he was, and I sat there in the time, you know, in my mind, kind of having this little duo with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, you know, just, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I really think you should do it. No, I'm not even going to tell the guy, you know. I mean, it just, in your mind. And he says, he says, you know, this whole story about how he was supposed to speak at some event in St. Paul years ago. And he had this little in his head going on. He's not going to do it. And and the guy who was speaking says, I'm not supposed to speak. And he goes into this whole exact same story, right? And I'm sitting there going, very funny. That's so funny, God. Like, you've got to be kidding me, you know? I mean, and it just, you know... Um, Sometimes you feel like the Lord tell you something and, and you step out and you get to a place almost where you feel like just because the Lord told you something, you have to speak it every time. And there's a reservation that comes because most of the time, I find anyway, there's a, there's a decency and an order to moving in the Holy Spirit. Like it, there's protocol. And if you read through the Bible, not everybody just jumped up and blabbed whatever they wanted and went and did it. They kind of worked in the system too. There are those moments where you got to step outside if the Lord calls you to do that, and we got to be obedient to that. And 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 there are those moments too. But most of the time, you like you kind of try and give honor and respect, and you don't want to be a stumbling block, right? And these are things that are just over time, right? That that as we mature and and you hear. So anyway, I'm having that little thing, and sure enough, he says, I think there's two people. I'm like, okay, I'm the second. And I stood up and I said, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something. And multiple times after that, the Lord would share little bits and pieces with me about different things. Um, I would say we continue to come. One of the things we really had been praying about was worship. I wanted our family to be able to worship the Lord. The Bible says he's seeking those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. That doesn't mean in entertainment. So much of what's out there today is an entertainment model. I'm all, I, I like lights and smoke and fog and with the best of them. I like loud, I like distorted guitars. I, I got saved with ACDC, Motley Crue, Judas Priest. I, you know, yeah! Right, Greg back there. This one's for you, buddy. If you could put a distortion pedal on there, just, you know. You could go do the long hair too, you know, just saying. I like it, okay? I like it. My family, not so much. They're always like, Dad. I like it. But so much about worship these days, it's almost all about that. Instead of coming and saying, You are holy, you are righteous. You are the God that saved me. You are the merciful one. Right? Coming and regardless of whether there's well-played instruments or superbly dynamic singers or well-dressed individuals or 
coming and laying it before him in humbleness and adoration of the King of Kings and saying, you are God, you are that God. And desiring to bring that worship because of how you've lived the week preceding or in the expectation of the week coming, worshiping him. Worship him. I can tell you many, 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 many weeks I would testify to you that I have sensed the presence of God in this place from the worship that you desire to bring week after week after week. Over and over and over again. 20 minutes ago, we just experienced worship and His presence fills the place. He inhabits the praises of His people I'm telling you, I've been to some places that are much bigger and much dynamic. Presence is here because of what you're bringing to him and offering a praise. I have prayed for my family to be able to, to experience that, right? It's a hard thing to find. Fellowship. we got to get together, body of believers, right? That's where... You start to notice the good things and the bad things about each other. You get close enough to invade each other's little bubbles. You're like, oh, that's why they are the way they are. (laughs) Right? Fellowship. All that good. Right? And most of it is good, and every now and then it's not, if we're honest, right? And that's what we need. Iron sharpens iron. Lots of scriptures about that. I believe fellowship is absolutely a necessary component. The Bible speaks of it in many places, right? I also think, by the way, that those last two especially, you can be invited somewhere, you can be led by the Holy Spirit somewhere, but I think the last two are in order that way most of the time. For most people, they should be. If you have it flipped and you start out with community, I go somewhere, maybe I'm even led by the Lord there, and I and I start with community as opposed to God first. All you have at the end of the day is community. And should somebody fail, and that will happen, somebody who's in leadership, somebody, some dynamic, right? This church is full of people. And because of that, what do people bring their stuff, right? Something will happen. And if God is first and foremost is the reason why you are doing a thing, doesn't matter if it's a job, a church, a, a marriage, a, you know, whatever. Then you can stick it through because God doesn't fail, but the people do, right? If you have it flip-flop the other way and you're here first and foremost because of your friend or because of your family or because, right? It doesn't matter what. If you're there because of a paycheck only, right? Then when some dynamic fails, like what, what keeps you going, right? Just... Just my own take on that. I think God God should come first in the reason why we do things. For me, a lot of the times in the church setting, that's worship, right? It just sets a tone. All right. That was a little about me. Hit the, hit the next one. Please. Um, I thought a little bit about... I felt like the Lord had some things that that uh, he wanted me to share with you guys. And uh, Pastor John, right about that time, uniquely said, hey, I think you should preach. Really fancy that. So I thought at the same time, um, you know, why do folks want to 
hear what I have to say, right? I'm just an average Joe guy. I work at a bank. I've done some things before, biblically in that, but um, I came to a place where some things weren't going quite right in a church setting that we were at. And I said, Lord, I don't want to be... I want to be careful how I say this because I think... I think... Um, the Lord can lead people down a lot of paths, so I'm just kind of speaking about the one that, that I went down, right? And totally good with other situations. I'm not trying to knock another, another um, avenue. But you can, you can start out in a ministry position or a setting, ministry setting, and you can kind of um, walk with the Lord and work things out. Stuff happens to you. It's a very hard road sometimes, and you can work out all those inner dealings kind of inside the circuit, I would call it. You, from a vocation perspective, maybe you stay in ministry or, you know, you just, you just continue to work things out. Um, a lot of folks work two jobs. They have a ministry job and they have a vocation somewhere else and funding and all those things. Um, and I said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to just preach to people and never know what somebody goes through in a day. The grind of life, like, in the setting that I was in at the time, folks were having meetings till one, two in the morning, three, four. Sometimes they just didn't stop. And they would go for days on end. Um, most of that activity happened by constituents, lay folks who were working another job. So if they showed up and they were in this seat until 2 a.m., then they got up the next morning at 5 a.m. or else they just had a cup of coffee or five and went to work. And then they would do it again and again and again. And, you know, the commitment level for those kinds of things, like you can, you can really burn yourself out, right? And then I would find out things like some of the leadership's like, well, I slept in until 10 o'clock because, you know, we had that meeting last night. I thought, but nobody else got to. Everybody else like had to go earn their paycheck to pay their mortgage. They kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I said, Lord, I want to know what, the, what all the people that would, I would ever minister to, what they go through in a day. So for the last couple of decades, I've been working it, <laughs> right? You have seven children, you work it, <laughs> right? Sometimes you don't know where all that food is going to come from, <laughs> right? The Lord has never let us go hungry. He has just been amazing, right? And to walk a life of faith uh, as one of the 11 other tribes, right? If you can follow that logic. Sometimes I think it takes more faith. I, you, you're, you're just tasked with a different set of circumstances, right? So in my mind, right, I like to look at this picture I grabbed off the net. Little puzzle pieces here and there. Things just kind of... God will show you a piece and a part. And in my mind, I have kind of an analytical mind. He'll show me a thing or two. And then that's it. And just like putting a puzzle together, you don't put a puzzle together sequentially, right? I mean, maybe there's one or two of you that can do that. And God bless you if that's how your mind works. But I knew somebody who turned it over, never looked at the colors, and did it by the shapes of the cardboard, right? And they did it like that, whatever. That's not me. Okay. How do most people do it? 
start with the edges, right? Because it's a little more defining. And then as you're going along, it's like, oh, 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 all these little pieces. And then you're over here, and then you're over there. Oh, I think this is a piece in the middle, and it doesn't attach to anything. And you get excited about each little piece, because you're like, oh, I made a connection right there, right? But it all doesn't come together until you just kind of, oh, now I see, right? And the more time you spend at it, the more time things start getting connected, right? And I think that's a lot how the walk of faith is, how the commitment to our Lord is, right? You make a commitment one day, you're like, I'm giving my life over. What does that mean? Uh, it's going to be like this. But then you start dealing with the minutia of life. You're like, I don't know. doesn't fit, doesn't fit, doesn't fit, doesn't fit, doesn't fit, doesn't fit. Nope, 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 nope. Ooh, I got one. Right? And it's kind of like that for, like, seems like kind of too long. Like a good long while. Right? It goes like that. So I get pretty excited if kind of everything looks like it sort of fits together for a moment. And you're like, ooh, yes. I see it's all coming together, right? So I feel like I'm going to try and do some of that for you this morning. Hopefully do a good job. Go ahead and hit the, the next one. Sometimes, honestly, it comes across a little more like this, right? You can think you got it, and then you're like, no, right? So a little bit of, of ad lib. Let's go to the Bible, right? Luke 17, I'll give you some scriptures in, ahead of time because we're going to chunk through a little little sections here. Luke 17, if you want to put your finger there and grab Genesis 4, all right? Luke 17, Genesis 4, and if there's any overachievers in the room who like to kind of have your finger in everything, you could jump to 1 Samuel 1 also, all right? Luke 17, Genesis 4 and 1 Samuel 1. All right. Pastor John, yeah, I didn't know how the font was going to show up for this, hopefully from the back of the room, but I left the gray because I wanted to let you know I wasn't taken out of context. But Pastor John spoke about this scripture, most of it, um, in a really wonderful way several weeks ago. I think it was shortly before Easter, if I remember right. So uh, if you go download that from the website... Uh, we did a phenomenal job with it. Uh, a couple things out of this one. Um, we'll kind of gloss through this in the interest of time. Who was Jesus speaking to when he said the kingdom of God was within you? It wasn't his disciples. Think about the crowd that's there right at that moment. He's answering Pharisees. A lot of times I think I read the Bible and you're like, the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah, we're following him. That's, that's us, right? He's speaking to Pharisees, right? Now maybe he was speaking to the good ones, right? The ones that he would later save, the ones that would hear. Or even guys that were mildly defensive of his ways, like Gamaliel later, right? When he kind of held back the resistance of the Pharisees who were really after Jesus. But I have kind of more of a feeling that like all the bad ones were in the crowd too, right? Maybe the majority of them, because usually they were the ones asking the questions. And he's saying, hey, you guys, you guys, don't be looking for it here and there. It's within you. 
He didn't turn to his disciples and say, yeah, you guys are following me. The kingdom of God is within you, not them. These are the guys with corruption. These are the guys with heart issues, right? Caiaphas himself prophesies about what he's going to do to Jesus. He stands in the Holy of Holies. You can read it in the Gospels. He stands in the Holy of Holies, prophesies the very word of the Lord. It's absolutely pure, and he's the guy who ends up doing the execution. Right? Pharisee. Kingdom of God is within you. The Pharisees, right? And he goes on to say, in the days of son of man, it'll be like Noah, given in marriage, right? Somebody's going to buy a, a boat that day. I don't know. Start a business. Somebody was doing the daily grind, waiting in line to get water at the well. We don't do that today. What do we do? We wait at the DMV to get our license. Just the daily grind, just stuff. Maybe at the checkout at Costco, I don't know, whatever, right? That's how it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. And he goes on with the casual observance. Two people are going to be in one spot. And he doesn't say, one person is a devout Levite following the ways of God, and the other is a secular humanist over on the side, devoid of understanding one will be taken and one will be left. That's not how it reads. Sometimes I think that's how we kind of interpret it. Like, we are either doing all these works and following the Lord and, you know, there's lots of commandments and lots of you try your best and you're really after it or, or you're not. But he's just talking about two people working a job. There's nothing really sophisticated, glamorous, or spiritual about taking a rock and rubbing it against some wheat into powder against another rock. Grinding. Right? There's nothing sophisticated about working in a field pulling weeds or taking a sickle. Right? You could be sorting mail today. You're just doing a job. One's taken, one's left. What's the difference? The people he's talking about here probably aren't Levites. They're one of the other 11 tribes. He's talking about regular people. Right? They showed up at the temple annually. Right? They didn't even go as much as all of us. Right? They didn't have one of these at every, you know, beck and call, a phone in your pocket that could translate it in every language possible. They didn't have access to it like that. Just a couple people working daily jobs. Right? Hold that thought. Let's go over to Genesis. Genesis 4. Let's start in verse 5. But he didn't respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry. Very angry. Not annoyed. Very angry. And his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You ever had a conversation like that with your kids? Right? I promise I won't tell stories on any of you. It's all good. But have you ever had a, a conversation where you're like, hey, 
if you would just fill in the blank, it would go so much better for you, right? And by the way, if you don't, then this is it's going to be harder and this is what you're going to have to deal with now, right? But even if that happens, you just have to do this and that and you'll get over it. You'll get through it. It's going to be harder for you, but you'll get through it, right? This is kind of that conversation. The real moment here was when Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. That's the real moment here. Keep going. And, uh, then Cain talked with his Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Hey, bro, let's have a little chat. Doesn't say Abel pushed him, things got out of hand. Doesn't say Abel provoked him. Just says they went and had a little talk. And he rose up and often. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? I don't know. What am I? My brother's keeper. It's a phenomenal answer to God most high. Right? I understand. We read the Bible from front to back, hopefully. right? You know, the whole thing is my point. We have the whole context here. This wasn't written yet for him. It's my own personal little one of my little puzzle piece thoughts that I'm sure I will see more clearly in heaven right but it says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day he walked with him right what does that look like I don't know but it bears the connotation that it's possible Abel didn't think of God as all-knowing supreme I see everything being that he walked with him like you didn't see me do it what my brother's keeper. The pride, the arrogance that's there, right? I believe all sins can resolve down to pride, render them down, right? Some of you guys do maple syrup, I think I've heard. Is it like 10 gallons of sap or something? 10 gallons of water renders down to actual maple syrup. It takes a lot, right? You're boiling it down. I think if you take all the sins, little ones, big ones, all that, and render them down, you're left with pride as a substance. Okay? I think there's a lot of support for that in the Bible. It's one of the original components. It's where Satan himself, pride. I'm going to exalt myself against the Lord. What's so significant about reaching out and grabbing a piece of fruit in the garden? It starts kind of out with saying, yeah, I don't uh, have to do what you told me I have to do. I, it's usually the I word. I'm going to do something else, right? The pride that comes from doing this thing and hiding it says, I don't need you as much as it's been explained to me that I need you. I'm going to try it on my own. So God says, what have you done? Voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now... So now is another one of those words. It's like, almost bears the connotation, you didn't come up with a new judgment. It's like, well, you've done this thing, so now this is how it's going to work for you. Right? You got a DUI, so now 
here's how life is going to work for you. Right? You have a felony on your record, so now your employers are going to look at you like this. File bankruptcy, so now here's how things are going to work for you. The judgment's already there. It's not like a new thing. It's the appropriation of something that exists. You put innocent blood into the ground, so now here's how the earth is going to treat you, tiller of the ground. Right? It's not going to bear up for you. He gives the judgment. And in 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Interesting to note, he doesn't respond like David. We see that later. Dude, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Nope. My punishment is too harsh. This isn't fitting. Right? Surely you, Lord, have driven me. You're doing this thing. You bad cop. Right? There's the arrogance and the pride is still there. He got caught, but he's not really repentant. His answer would be different if he was really repentant. He doesn't want the judgment, but he's not really sorry. Any of you parents know what I'm talking about? Right? It's a difficult thing. I don't know. That's why I had to ask them. I've never experienced that. You guys are angels. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that if anyone finds me, he will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on him, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Fine. We'll take care of that. Nobody will kill you, but the judgment still stands. Right? I think God seeks repentance and humility. And it might have been a little bit different story. But his answer had been a little bit different. Again, any parents know what I'm talking about? All the kids are at camp, right? So it's like easy to... Right? If you're not repentant, you're not humble. It says, God resists the proud... And he gives grace to the humble. If our hearts remain in a place of disgruntled resentment towards the Lord God, he resists the proud. He'll let us stay with that. He'll let us keep it. Freedom comes at humbleness. We repent. We, we give it up, even if it doesn't go well for me, Lord. I don't know what's next, but I give you everything. I surrender. It's why we lift our hands in worship. Right? We surrender. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, 16. That is a powerful verse. I'm surprised he didn't breathe his last right there. He went out from the presence of the Lord. It doesn't really record that he was concerned about that. Anger will do that to you. It will blind you from what's really important. He went out from the presence of the only one who could keep him alive. And he just went to some other town. Nod, right? Pride will lead us away from his presence. And what's worse is the moment when we go, so what? Fine. Be that way. 
I'll go do it on my own. Right? All right. Hold that thought. I'm going to try and thread this together. Right? Puzzle pieces. Okay? Let's go over to 1 Samuel. I believe... Oh, let's back up, actually. Just leave it, that one on. People have those questions in the world around us, right? I, I put up some basic questions, but we'll get to that. When they look at the people in this church, in some other church, when they hear that you're a follower of something, they have questions about it. And our life gives those answers whether we're eloquent at speaking them or not. Who we are and how we live and what we say carries those answers with people. But literally our existence speaks louder, right? Some of you communication experts, I've I've sat in classes and, and people talk about it all the time. Most of what you hear does not come from my lips, from the words, right? Most of it comes from tone, inflection, how we carry ourselves, the lifestyle we live, what you know about me. There's all these little things that process in your mind, and we're all different at how we receive that information and, and all of that. Most of the people in the circles of your life and my life know what we think and what we feel by how we're living and who we are and what comes up out of us. That's scary. Anybody scared by that? Isn't that a little, like, because I know me. I've looked in the mirror before. I'm in the real mirror, right? It's not so great. I'd venture to say if we all had some ability to wrap each other up in each other's heads, we'd be a little wigged out, (laughs) right? We know the thoughts we think, what we stew on and what really festers inside of our soul. Sometimes it's just not that great. And every now and then we have really good moments. We think we're all, you know, doing pretty good, right? Every now and then we are, but I think a good chunk of time, it's not so wonderful, right? Jesus held this, like, perfect line, right? Does it ever mean he wasn't tempted? Yeah, he was tempted. It's not necessarily in the thoughts, but it's in the output of her life, despite the thoughts. Let's go to 1 Samuel. I'll read through a little bit of this here. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had, count them, two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons Eli, Hophni, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord were there. That's an important call out in the beginning of this. If you know the story, you know why. If you don't know the story, it's important. The writers the tone of this is saying, Yeah, so there's this guy, he's over here and all of that. And you know, he goes up and he does this thing at this place, and those two were there. Okay? We'll go on. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah's wife and to all her sons and daughters. Bears the connotation they had a lot more kids than me. I have seven, right? Bears the connotation that dude had it, I don't know, right? 
it bears the idea that he probably had a little cash. Doesn't say he was the most wealthy person on the, the face of the, the land at the time. There's places in the Bible where that's a call out. Doesn't say that, but he's probably doing all right. Okay? He had two wives, he had a whole bunch of kids, right? He had multiple suburbans, I don't know, whatever, right? Dude was all right. I'm not saying, by the way, he's all right because he had two wives. Any one of us guys had two wives, that's a whole different issue, right? Not saying that. But back then, things were a little different, not calling it good. In fact, God deals with that later. It's not really what he intended, okay? But from an economic standpoint, he had a business that was going on, okay? Uh, where was that? Verse 5. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Doesn't say he took pity on her. He loved her. Although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. And therefore she wept and did not eat. Let's stop there. We read through this stuff really quickly. There was a guy, he lived in this place, he went up and he did this thing every year, and this happened, and this was a situation, and here's the socioeconomic background, and plants a little seed and an idea, and then we move on to the next scripture. The Bible says to meditate on the Lord. You're literally ingesting this stuff into your soul. Really think about what it was like. Year after year, the other woman, right? Man... That's just got to be something that most of us don't grapple with on a day-by-day basis. Not in this culture. In our culture, we have billboards, signs, magazines, internet memes. I mean, they're all over the place. You can get a divorce for $49.99, right? It's all about you being happy. If you're not happy, man, you just get out of that marriage and just... Right? That's not a message in this culture. Most of us Americans, if we saw the lifestyle of how they were living, would probably more relate it to some form of slavery. That's probably how it would seem. This gal is the other woman, and there's a whole bunch of kids, and it kind of sounds like her rival is very maybe vindictive, manipulative, Always given that moment to get a grind. I mean, think about how many moments they served in the same house. Every little moment. Making a meal, walking to the well to get water, to the outhouse, into town to buy something. Every little thing. And you can't get away. You sleep in the same place. And all those kids, if the woman was like this, Right? If the other wife was like this, how do you think all those sons and daughters treated Hannah with grace and honor and contempt? Kids can be cruel. Right? Not you guys again. Kids can be cruel. I want you to really digest it. You're no good to my father. You've produced him nothing. I don't know why he keeps you around. Tell me some snot-nosed kid didn't come up with that one. Right? My camel has given more offspring than you have. 
It was a big deal to have children. It was a big deal. And she couldn't get away. Tell me she didn't have tempting thoughts to off one of those kids, <laughs> right? Nobody will know who's in the field. And just, who knows what she was really like? The Bible doesn't say that. But I want you to consider what it does say. She provoked her severely. Doesn't say she was annoyed. Doesn't say there was a little bit of tension between the two and they just didn't get along. Constant, constant, constant. All the time. Then they go annually to this deal where everybody sacrifices before the Lord. In our culture, we give tithes and offerings. this wonderful part and we, we kind of deliver it to the altar, Right? Of the, of the church and it's distributed and all different things. In theirs, they would eat it themselves. Yes, it went to the Levites and there's portion and all that, but the family themselves ate it because they traveled and they went there. And so if you read through the Bible, how it was actually administered, yeah, the Levites, they all had their portion and it all you know did go there and all that kind of thing, but the people themselves who brought the offering also ate of it, right? The tithe. The Bible talks about the logistics there. And when this moment happens, Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion. I'm sure that really made the other woman feel wonderful. Here I've given him this whole herd of little humans, and she can't get the one thing that Hannah gets naturally. He loved her. Right? Gives her a double portion. Over years, it's a lifetime of pain and sorrow condensed into a few lines. It is a lifetime of pain and sorrow. Eight. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Let's take a bunny trail. Anybody married to a jerk? Let's not have a show of hands. Because that's basically my answer too, Greg. My wife's been married to a jerk. I could say stand up if you've ever opened your mouth and put feet bigger than mine in your mouth. And I'd see some springs on legs. There's the jerk moments, and then there's just a jerk. And some people are trapped, married to a jerk. You can love somebody and still be an imbecile. True. You can still be a total moron and not get a clue. And have love. Everybody love their kids? Anybody ever done wrong by them? Not have a clue? Oh, I love you. Shouldn't that be enough? I love you. Look at what I give you. I work from dawn till dusk. I am working my butt off. What is your problem? Don't I give you more stuff than everybody? I give you memberships to clubs, whatever you want. What is your problem? 
you might even be making me look bad by not eating in front of all these people. Pride. It doesn't record, that's how it is, but I just want you to, I think it's in line. What does Hannah do about that? So Hannah arose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. I believe the bitterness of soul, when you consider the lifetime, this is the kind of bitterness that scientists now have little measurement devices and they say, oh, we've been able to measure that that actually causes cancer. That causes your organs to shut down. That causes this and that. They can measure things coming out of your emotions in your tear ducts. Right? We all go, ooh, science. Bitterness of soul. The kind of bitterness that brings you down and says, I don't know if it's worth living. I don't know why I'm here. Is it ever going to get any better? He loves me, but he's so clueless. I don't think anything's ever going to change. That kind of bitterness. The no hope kind. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me, but will give your maidservant a male child, right? The scriptures and the male opens a womb, it blessed, like, it's a big deal, okay? It's a specific request. There's nothing wrong with being specific to the Lord God. You are not going to surprise him. Be specific. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Right? It's a little weird for us, but I'll make him a Nazarene. Right? <laughs> like, uh, I'll give him right back to you. I just want one. Just give me one. You can hear her pour out her heart before the Lord. Right? And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Eli. Right? Priest. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. Add a little insult to injury. Here she goes before the the Lord. And the guy who's supposed to represent the Lord and carry the voice of the Lord, the embodiment of God's personality and character and judgment and looks at her and goes, you're wasted. I know what's wrong with you. If you would just fix some stuff in your life, you wouldn't keep going through this. If you would fix your personality flaws, people wouldn't keep taking advantage of you. If you would fill in the blank, then things would be better. Until that, Get out of here. Put away this wine from you. Hannah says, No, Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your man maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. I can't even speak about anything. When I pray, I it's in my stomach like not. I just, and the Lord 
She's praying that way. Anybody ever prayed that way? Where you can't get the words out because it's such a knot inside. And all of your being is being expressed before the Lord. And maybe the only thing you can do is move your lips. This is Hannah's point. It's the point of like, I'm done. If this moment doesn't happen, I'm done. And Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked him. Then Eli, uh, sorry. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's amazing to me. You know why it's amazing to me? It's because she knows who Eli is. Everybody does. She knows who Hophni and Phinehas is. Everybody does. The Bible clears that up in the next section. And she goes away in faith in the God that she just cried out to. It's in the midst of one of the more corrupt situations in church or the kingdom at the time that the land has has experienced. Why do we know this? Because if you jump ahead to verse chapter 2 verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fish. It goes on to say they were skimming off the top. They stole from the tithes and offerings that people brought in. They were doing it all the time. And they were kind of doing it publicly, almost like the mafia, right? Guido, like, bring it in. And then people would say, well, let's they try and kind of, let's do it this way. And, and then, no, nah, you're going to do it this way, and you're going to do it right now. Bring it to me first. And they would take off the top. It goes on to say, Verse, uh, they slept with the woman who came, the women who were at the door of the tabernacle. I looked this up online and I'm using a different Bible, so it's in a different physical location than it was in my head. Where is it? 22, thank you. Yes. Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so she said to them, so he said to them, Eli talking to his kids, why do you do such things? For I hear all your evil dealings from all the people. This wasn't news to anybody. Right? Everybody knew. You've got to bring your tithes and your offerings into this place, and this is what's going to happen. You better look out for your daughter, because this is what happens. This is not unknown. Hannah goes away in faith. In who? Eli? He's the one who said it. 
go your way. May the God of Israel grant your petition. She goes away no longer sad in faith of the God that she cried out to in her moment of pain, despite a husband who doesn't understand, people who ridicule and just nail her to the ground unjustly, and a priest who got it totally wrong and judged her wrongly. She goes away in faith in the Lord. I just think that's an amazing example for us. I can't... I'm convicted of that. I, I can't say, like, I would do the same thing. <laughs> I think... I think I'd be all up in that priest's face, right? <laughs> I don't know. And so what happens? She goes away. She's no longer sad. She eats... In uh, one nineteen, go back there. They rose early the next morning, worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and vow. But Hannah did not go. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Surprised she didn't make that last till he was 15 years old or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. You ever pray for something for so long and you feel like God gave it to you and you can turn right around and give it up? Anybody ever walked through that one? I can tell you, that's not fun. That had to be not like super, that part of it in the midst of it had to like not go over well. I just can't believe any mother, especially this one, that describes all that, like, I don't get it. That's part of the Homer Simpson, like, I don't get it. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do whatever seems best to you. Again, this leads me to believe that he's more on the side of the clueless moron, a little bit jerk, like, I'm working really hard, whatever. I got a lot of other kids. You've been waiting forever. I don't even get you. You finally get one. You want to give them up, whatever. The guy just, I don't know. That means that was the right answer. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took up with her, took him up with her. She gives a sacrifice. It kind of breaks that down there. Let me speed up a little bit. Tells Eli all about it. She leaves him there. It goes on to say, she, they do this prayer. She has to tell Eli like, hey, this is the kid. Eli's like, whoa, okay. Right? I got to kind of believe there's a little part of me that believes Eli was sitting there like, came to pass. Because his life wasn't quite right. God moves. This is where I'm going to go towards the end here. God moves so many times in the midst of a whole bunch of crap. You will find it over and over and over and over in the Bible. It is not all pretty and lined up. He shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him, not whose life is sinless before him. You do not have to be perfect or even really pretty good. He already knows that we're not. 
right? She gives him, he's growing up. In the midst of that growing up, his sons are doing the same stuff. And they won't relent. And Eli, it's interesting to note, is just as apathetic as Elkanah towards his two sons. He knows what's going on. He hears it from all the people. He sees it. He even confronts them one time or two, saying, you make all the people sin when you do this. You transgress the Lord. Like you're making all these people do this horrible stuff. But he doesn't do anything about it. Such that we know later, as you keep reading, the Lord comes and rips that whole thing out of him, takes it all away, and says, just so you know I'm telling you the truth that this is all going to happen, your two sons are going to die in one day. And they don't die pretty. It's a severe judgment to be apathetic. You see something going on, and you do nothing. There's mercy there's all those moments that it was happening year by year by year by year by year. He could have changed. He could have done something different. He could have stepped in and went, enough. Nip that thing. Nip it in the bud when they're little. When they grow older, it's a lot tougher. It takes a lot more energy. But you've got to do it, even if it means cutting your own arm off. Instead, the Lord came and cut his arm off. It talks about it, right? The whole lineage thing, not his actual arm. Eli was apathetic towards his sons. Elkanah was apathetic towards the abuse of his wife, whom he loved, but the other one severely. I'm sorry, you can't tell me he didn't see that stuff go on. You got a house with that many kids, you can't tell me he doesn't observe it year after year after year after year after year. He might not get the joke in a moment saying, hey, I gave you a double portion and all this stuff. How come you're not eating? What's your big problem? Right? But in the long haul of the marriage, marriages, right? You can't tell me he didn't see this unwarranted abuse. He did nothing. The Lord deals with that. But for Hannah, the Lord deals with that in the people who are apathetic. They get the judgment. But as Hannah goes up year by year after bringing uh, Samuel before the Lord, right? Like jump down to verse 18. She would bring him a little robe, right? She was like, that's my son. That's my son. Her whole disposition, her whole life changed, right? And hope. And she would go and she would bring him his own little ephod. And in the midst of Eli and his sons and all the perversion going on, Samuel's standing straight up before the Lord. Like some kind of really dark light contrast in the midst of all this stuff. How does that work? The Lord will show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Hannah's heart was loyal to the Lord. Some of you have kids and you're praying and you don't know how they're going to make it in the midst of a circumstance 
that is just surrounded by crap. Even the good situations are bad. It's, it's a degree of bad. Like, the places where they're supposed to get good help aren't good help. How does Samuel fare before the Lord in a place that is so corrupt at the time? The Lord shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I believe this is probably one of the more confusing things people encounter when they start contemplating dealing with God Almighty, Yahweh, the God of the universe. And when they come across our paths and they say, you follow this God, out of your life comes an answer, whether you speak it or not. They see corruption. They read the same news we do, right? Anybody seen corruption? Yep. People get corrupt. It happens. It's around all the time. Some of us corrupt. It's confusing for people. You could go to that question slide. Some of these people around us that we work with, they have questions, right? And they're basic questions about God and how does it all fit? And they're working out their own puzzle. And I will tell you, this is the thing I really feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you guys. The kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. It's within you. It's within you. Each one of you. You bring the kingdom to these people. Your existence. What does that mean? Does it mean you have to say the perfect word? Does it mean you have to get on your knees at five in the morning and pray every day and come up with something? Does it mean that you have to be an evangelist with the eloquence of Billy Graham? And Does it mean that you have to join the club and get immersed in all the activities? Honestly, and Lord might be calling you to do some of those things, and that's all great because it's part of the walk. But usually your daily grind efforts bear witness more than you will ever know. More than you will ever know. I watched a man's face light up on the plane when we were going to Florida. Your face cracks God's smile from ear to ear in a way that gives people assurance and comfort. It's as if he just went and stuck a part of him right on your head. You didn't have to say a word. You just make people feel... Your existence carries God's imprint, a piece of himself. Your employees, they see it. The people you've worked with all the years, they've seen it. One of those people one day will stand before the Lord and say, when did I see you? And he'll show him where he was. And he gets jealous of himself in people towards others. He'll say, I was there in that moment. And you'll look back and you'll go, that was a moment? Wish I had ten of those. I didn't even know. And he says, that's okay. 
He wants to show himself strong. He doesn't share glory with us. He doesn't want us walking around like, it's not a me message. It's not new age. You understand the difference? It's not, I'm all important and, and everything, the gift is within us. And if we just sink down deeper, it's all about us. That's not what I'm saying. It is literally about him. And he's literally, the kingdom of God is literally within us. And so when you talk with people at work, when you talk with people in your neighborhood, kind of whether it's, I want to be careful here, whether you think you're coming across well or not is not so much the issue. The faith in the Lord becomes greater than any junk in our lives. He is so much looking for people who he can show himself strong on behalf of because their heart is legitimate. But God is not restrained. He is not surprised by her sins. He is not surprised by her failures. You are the voice of You are the answer of hope because the kingdom of God is within you. Because you're not out there saying, well, Buddha was a really good guy. And I found a lot of inner peace with that. Okay. Because your answer is in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what kind of a night you had last night or this morning. People see the kingdom in you. I'm telling you, it's like Jesus wants to get out of your, your soul. I want you to think about every person you talk to, not in a hyper-spiritual way, not in an overzealous weirdo way, just in a normal daily grind way. You're, they're in your life, and your sins and your failures are the very humble attachment point that these people need and God wants to use to show himself strong in all of your lives, like you and the person you're connected with. Pray for him. Pray for him privately. Pray for him in public. Pray for him however you feel like the Lord is showing you to. Talk to him. Give him the advice that you know. You may be the only link in their lives to the kingdom. One will be taken, one will be left. It'll be like that. Days are short. We don't know how many days we get. It's not, sometimes I would hear that kind of message and I think, oh, i got to go talk to everybody. Almost like a guilt trip. It's not that. It's an empower. The kingdom of God is within you. Go out and do these things and realize his imprint is literally within you. God, last, last thing. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Over and over you can see this in the Bible. A lot of the people you encounter... Quite honestly, they're too proud. They're like, they don't need it. And you know what? If they don't need it, that's okay. It's not okay, but 
God loves them enough that it's okay. He lets them, he lets them be proud. He let Cain go to another place. When pride was imputed onto Jesus and every other sin, God's presence was removed. He resists the proud. If we are too proud, we experience God's presence abating in our lives. It, it, it removes, right? When we humble ourselves, we say, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. What if it doesn't really even go well for me? So all in your hands. I give it to you, Lord, whatever it is. I will tell you, sometimes it doesn't go well, right? It's not a magic wand. Anybody who's walked with the Lord for longer than 10 minutes, I don't know. Sometimes it just doesn't go well. Life's not all that cool sometimes. And you give it to the Lord, you're like expecting sometimes the stories are like, give it to the Lord and it'll all be great. And then you'll get tons of cash and, you know. Man, it doesn't work like that sometimes. It works the other way. But humbleness will keep you close to the Lord in the middle of that moment. And I got to tell you, if that moment's going to happen and it's going to suck either way, I want to be close to the Lord. That's the only way there's hope. And there's a ton of people out there who don't have that hope because they're not close to the Lord and the kingdom of God is within you. And if we're humble and we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, it can literally just, it doesn't have to be big, just a little bit of help. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Tiny little bits. Think about your process when you were coming to the Lord. Tiny little steps. People just doop, doop, doop. God's good for it. He can orchestrate a lot of things. He gives grace to the humble. Anybody who's willing to humble themselves... And seek the Lord. I'm telling you, he'll show himself strong. Strong. So strong. If you're stuck in a relationship like Hannah was, there's hope. There's hope. I know some people, they are stuck. They're stuck, 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 stuck. There's hope. There's hope because God can deal with things that nobody else can. Maybe that relationship is at work, your boss, your job. Anybody stuck? There's hope. When we pour out our heart to God and we trust Him, why do we worship? Why do we pour out our heart? Sometimes we say, oh, you know, if we want to come down, and I'm not going to do that this morning, but if we come down and, and we kneel and we pray and we seek the Lord. Why do we do that? Because God reads lips. He reads lips. Sometimes we can't even... He knows. But it's that place of humbleness. I really felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you me and my family we have experienced the kingdom with you people over the last 
whatever, I don't know what it's been. Almost two years, really? My wife is almost always right, so. <laughs> almost. I'm not humble enough to say always. <laughs> so many of you we talked in the kingdom just, it just comes out. It just comes out. And I think because of our junk and the stuff that's in our lives, sometimes we just all get kind of held back. We look in the mirror and we're like, I don't even want to bring this up with so-and-so because literally I'm just in the midst of my own little hellhole. My own little habits. My own little problems. My life's not that great. Can you take four more minutes? Get a little real. All the kids are at camp, right? Almost all of them. Statistics say, in this room right here, 60% of the men look at pornography on a regular basis. That's what the stats say. I'm not saying that's where it's at with this church. But that's what the stats say. I can tell you I've been to PK events. Anybody remember those Promise Keeper events like from a decade or two ago, two decades? It's almost 20 years, right? Like 60 to 70% of the men would stand up in those auditoriums. I've been to them in Minneapolis, Seattle, Somewhere else, I can't remember. I went to the mall event in D.C. Over half stand up. Doesn't matter if they're a pastor, lay leader, whatever, and they would all stand up and say, yeah, that was 20, 25 years ago. You think it's different today? Right? Today we have little... Today we have these, Right? What is our world like? If that statistic is true, on a continuous basis, there is an assault here that's happening in your own mind, in your own heart. And what makes any word you give to somebody else valid? How can you be a witness for the Lord if you know what looks in the mirror back at you? Right? Eli and his sons, there was a corruption going on there. It's no different. God has seen this kind of thing go on for people over and over and over. We're people. I'm not excusing it, but it happens in every race, culture, class, like the sins, that the same sins. And right in the midst of that junk, he showed himself so strong on behalf and even used one of the people who was doing nothing about it. I don't know what the answer is to that for my kids and this and that, so I just, I don't know. 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 So I'm not going to deal with it. And God showed up. He's so not restrained. And I will tell you this secret. If you're one of those people who is struggling... One of the fastest, most effective ways to get out of it is to go do something for the Lord and let the Holy Spirit move right through you. It will be like a stagnant swamp that just got opened up like the irrigation was dammed up with a bunch of junk, which is literally the case in your soul. 
And you can fight against that, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to run through your life. And with through no effort of your own, he'll just clean all the crap right out of you. And you walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Somebody in your life is hurting. Somebody in your life might just need a little understanding. You take your filth and your garbage that you feel bad about and have faith that the Lord will use you in that moment to speak a message of hope to that person. I'm telling you what, the sins that once held you bound will anoint right off you like oil. It'll just... Stuff will just go. It's really hard to sin in the presence of the Lord, I'm telling you. It's really hard. Like, when you're doing well spiritually and you help somebody out, it's really hard to just go sin at the same time. They, they don't go together. Okay? I'm just picking on one. Right? That's why I said four minutes. <laughs> Everybody, you, you know the mirror. Right? Sometimes it's wonderful. And I will tell you, this doesn't all sound negative, Week after week, week after week after week, I was not kidding when I said, man, we, we felt the presence of the Lord when we're worshiping the anointing of the Lord. That doesn't come. Seven people got up here and played wonderfully and did that last week of Father's Day. I forget how many were here this morning, but it was wonderful also. But that didn't come just because of these people. It came because at moments when they stopped singing... It's coming. That doesn't happen everywhere, I'm telling you. Sometimes it's just all entertainment. If the people stop playing, like there's nothing going on. They want to be entertained. And that's not what's happening here. You're literally bringing a heart of worship each week. We wouldn't feel the Spirit like we do. It is amazing. And at the same time, we hear from Pastor John, like, God want to take us to another level. There's things that, even some of the things that God shared with Vern, what we're doing in the other locations, there's a movement that's, that's starting to take place. And you people, right? And I'd be honored if I can join you. The Lord is just like, you are the people. I'm going to speak right through you. I'm going to do things through you. Some days it just might be casual. It might not even feel like anything spiritual. The kingdom of God is within you. And the fastest way to get rid of anything holding you back is to just jump in with the Lord and offer somebody the message of hope. It's the fastest way. It will set you free. It will set your family free. It's just a my opinion. I think it's backed up by Scripture, but I've seen it. If you need prayer, if you do feel like you're trapped, if you do have some scenario and Hannah's story relates to you, there are people who will pray for you and they're available up here at the front. Some of that stuff, honestly, is pretty deep. So if you'd like a different environment, like, good to go. We will help you. Sometimes with your children, sometimes, you know, 
it's an interesting dynamic, right? So I get that. And if it needs to be at another time, what I don't want you to do is walk away and say, there's no hope. If it needs to be another day, if it needs to be in another setting, good to go. I really do feel like there's a couple folks that that's the situation. And here's what I just want to tell you. There's probably a person in your mind, in your heart, that you would like to bring some of this before. I'd just like you to encourage you to reach out to them this week or here. I'll pray, I'll make an office, something like that, right? If that's where you're at, God just wants to show himself strong in your situation. It's not about whether you're doing it all right, and it's not matter whether you follow the 10 steps of freedom and whether your personality is good enough or any of that. It's just simply about God already knows you're so screwed up, and me too, and everybody else in your life. We're just all a stinking mess, and he can fix it. He totally can. Okay? Maybe you're hoping that your kid... <laughs> got that figured out this week, right? And you're hoping for some kind of difference when they come back. We want to agree with you in prayer and ask the Lord when you're with you, for you, believe with you, stand with you. If that's where you're at, I encourage you to reach out or else we, we might not know, right? And for the rest of the folks, I just encourage you to go for it. Just go for it. Go for it. You know who's in your life. Family, friends, coworkers, whatever. Just go for it. Little things here and there. The kingdom of God is within you. Every single one of you. I've seen it. I've seen it. You have spoken it to me. Every single one. Father, I just thank you for your mercy. I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for loving us past our sins. If it was all about us getting it right, <laughs> we wouldn't have a shot. I thank you, Jesus, for getting it right for us. I thank you for your mercy that forgives and 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 then forgives again. You bring us to a place of health and life and peace. As long as we're breathing air, we have a chance. Father, I, I just ask for humble conviction to fall on us all this week, that we remain humble in our jobs, so easy to get flared up. I just ask for humbleness to, to become knitted with our soul, that we can encounter more of your presence, that we can encounter more of your life in our everyday grind. Starting when we leave this building, and we go out, we start working our jobs or doing whatever we're doing. That we will carry your kingdom and you in our soul and deliver it to the next available person and the one after that and the one after that. And we will see your glory in our lives. Father, I just bless every 
youth that's at the camp right now. Together, Lord, we just call life into those young people. Life into those young people. So much is against them, Father, in this society. They have so many things to contend with. Father God, I just pray right now, no matter where any one of them are, that they contend with you. Let them start to contend with you in a greater way. Let them see how you contend with the world. (laughs) And let them put you first in their lives. I pray for a connection between all of them and the families that they come from. Again, that humbleness would dominate a family where pride once was. Where their testimony would come back changed and enlightened. I pray for the peace to break bondages and behaviors that have been thrown up forever. Break the curse over their lives. Break it off their parents' lives. Let faith rise up and expectation that God really can make a difference in both their life and our lives and move forward from today. That no matter what was in the past, it's in the past and we leave it behind. Jesus, you do this all the time for people. All the time. And I pray it happens for every youth that's on this this excursion here. And I pray it for every parent who's sent somebody out. Let this week be just honoring to you, Father, as we go live it. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.